1: Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll discuss when spirit and medicine meet. If there's one professional that dances the gate between life and death, it's medical doctors. While for the most part, doctors are taught and encouraged to pay attention to the physical only, what unexplained phenomenon have they observed in these extreme situations? What do they experienced that they keep to themselves to remain professional? How can these experiences evolve the way we view medicine and spirit? With us this hour to delve into this amazing topic is Dr. Scott Kolbaba, the author of Physician's Untold Stories. Dr. Kolbaba is an internist in private practice in Wheaton, Illinois. He graduated from the University of Illinois College of Medicine with honors and did his residency at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago and at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He's been awarded memberships in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society and has been featured in Chicago Magazine as a top doctor in internal medicine. His website, physicianuntoldstories.com. Dr. Kobaba, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thanks, Will. That's great to see you. Good to see you as well. So, as a doctor and an internist, what drew you to um, looking into the spiritual aspects um, or the more esoteric aspects of uh, of medicine and of life?
2: Well, you know, I've been in practice for a long time, and it took me a long time to realize that there are other things uh, related to medicine that aren't that, that you can't explain. And I think it started when one of my friends grabbed me in the on the floor, and he said. Scott, I've got this incredible story I want to tell you, and um, I said, "Okay, go ahead and tell it to me." But he, he wouldn't right there because he was afraid other people would hear it. So, so we had to go into an empty patient room, and he started to relate this incredible story to me about uh, he was he was doing surgery on one of my patients, and all of a sudden she arrested from probably the antibiotic that was given to her, and uh, they took a, a while to get her going, uh, but they finally were able to get her get her back, and um, when uh, there's Dr. Mokel that, that was the doctor telling me the story, when he was doing CPR on the patient, uh, she finally came back and uh, the person doing CPR before him wasn't doing an adequate enough job. So he had to give the person a kind of a shove aside to, to, uh, to, to get in there and, and, and really save her life. And so uh, she survived. She went to the ICU afterwards, and then uh, about two days later, when Dr. Mokel was ready to discharge her, he was talking about what happened, and she and, and she surprised him by saying, "I saw the whole thing happen. I saw the person that you pushed aside to to do the CPR. I um, I watched the and he she described some very detailed things that that no one could have told her, the color of a stethoscope, and the dress the one of the techs was wearing, and things like that." That, that no one would have known, and she also said when I was when I was looking uh, down at myself, my grandmother came to me, who's been dead for a number of years, and said that's not your time to come. I'm I'm saving a place for you, but this is not your time, and so you'll have to go back, and she did. And by this point, Dr. Mokel kind of got weak knees and sat <laughs> sat down and didn't quite know what to say. He's a pretty scientific kind of a guy and trying to figure out you know how science can explain this, and he just he just couldn't, and so. When he told me that story, I thought, I wonder if other doctors have had experiences like this that they, you know, that they just simply can't explain scientifically. So I started hanging out in the doctor's lounge and asking docs if they had any unusual stories. And I was really surprised because you know, doctors don't talk about this. They're, they're pretty conservative. They don't want to be on the extreme edge of things. They don't want people thinking that they uh, are seeing visions and, and ghosts and things like that. So um, it took a little bit to, to drag some of these stories out of doctors, but they finally, many doctors came, came, uh, came to me and, and, and told me these incredible stories. And I thought I better write these down because this is, this is something that I've never heard before because doctors don't talk about this. And that's how the book got started.
1: Dr. Golbaba, did, did you find some, um, you know, things you had to reconcile between your medical training and what you were
2: hearing and, and all the
1: different stories? Was Did you have kind of a crisis of faith of sorts?
2: Well, this is something you don't learn in medical school. You don't learn about, uh, you know, dreams that foretelling the future events. You don't learn about, uh, uh, you know, uh, apparitions that, that came to doctors that, that uh, helped them save somebody's life. And so I had to uh, really scratch my head and say, "There's, there's, you know, this is. It actually strengthened my faith that that there's something else out there that that I don't care what you call it. Uh, most of the doctors that I interviewed called it God, but there's something out there that uh, looks out for us and in strange and wonderful ways may help us in 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 ways that we don't even realize." And so. Uh, i'm I'm delighted that the doctors were able to recognize that too and, and when they saw the number of doctors that were coming coming forth, I think they all uh, got a little reassured that uh, you know patients wouldn't shun their practice when they realized that they had a, a dream that uh, saved somebody's life.
1: So have you found uh, since the since you wrote your book and during your interviews that these doctors have found a certain amount of relief in recognizing they aren't the only ones that have had these seemingly inexplicable
2: experiences. I I think that's the case. And when we had a a book launch and we had the book signing, many of the doctors showed up for that. And uh, they were really delighted that so many people were congratulating them on coming forth with these stories. And and what I found uh, after I wrote the book, and some of these doctors have found that too, is that other people will come up to them, patients will say, I'm glad you wrote that story because I had an experience just like that where uh, I had a uh, uh, something happened to me that that just couldn't have been coincidental that uh, uh showed me that there was something else, and thank you for coming forth because now I feel I can tell it too. If you can tell it, I can tell it without being embarrassed or or shunned by other people thinking I'm just a little in the on the a little off the the center aisle here
1: have you had any inexplicable um, esoteric experiences yourself sir
2: i have i've had a couple which also got me interested in writing this book Uh, one I have a, a bunch of kids. I'm not sure where they all came from. I've got seven kids and we love to take, we love to take them on vacation every year. And one of the years we took them on vacation to Cape Cod, which is one of our favorite places. My wife grew up off the Cape and we were having a, you know, well, did you ever have a wonderful day, a day that you will remember forever? That was just the, the, the perfect day. The, the weather was great. Like everyone's getting along. It was just a, a, a just a really feeling good, feel good day. And, um, uh, on vacation uh, the boys tend to cook so we decided to go to the store and, and we wanted to get some stuff that we normally don't eat we got some sea f- some uh, swordfish uh, fillets which would which is absolutely excellent some corn on the cob and then on checking out we looked at the pies there they had a whole stack of pies there There were cherry pies we talked about our favorite pies, and uh, we decided that my mother's uh, rhubarb pie was one of the best we've ever had because she would take rhubarb from the backyard and cut it up and make a pie every every fall. And it was a huge pie. And we'd sneak into the kitchen with spoons in a very unsanitary way. We'd devour the, the rhubarb pie, which was extra sweet because she loved to put extra sugar in there. And so we decided that you know if, if my mother was alive, she had died before the vacation, unfortunately. And we decided that if if she was here she'd make us a rhubarb pie and and so that was our favorite pie. So we got back to the house we made the we made the swordfish uh steaks and we uh, had everything it was just a wonderful meal and then we got out the cherry pie my wife cut the cherry pie up and served it to everyone and when i took a bite of the of the, the piece of cherry pie on my plate i got goosebumps it wasn't cherry it was rhubarb <laughs> now you're giving me goosebumps <laughs> and i you know that made me think you know certainly that you can explain that by the in the factory where they make the pies they could have substituted a rhubarb for, for a cherry or whatever but my explanation was um, i think my mother was there with us and she would have loved to be with her there with us and in the, in the family she loved the family mm-hmm. so that was one of the experiences i had that i just couldn't explain and that kind of got me you know, again thinking about uh, writing writing these these stories down
1: so how have these stories in the process of of writing them down and interviewing how have they impacted your personal life and
2: your professional life well you know uh, i think when people um do something uh that they really get get into that they really are excited about and and that they really want to do well i think they get some help sometimes from up above Uh, i i um uh Many times in my in my practice, uh, you listen to that little voice in the back of your head that says, you know, do this or don't do this. And we've had cases where we've had a person come in with uh, certain symptoms, and and on the back of my head, uh, something will say, well, this person needs a stress test. Uh, you know, you need to get a, a stress test. And I had one person that was going for, a pre, I was pre-operating for surgery, and I just had that funny feeling that, you know he didn't have many risk factors but i thought well, we better get a stress test on this guy and so uh, would, we you, did. would
1: you mind sharing with us what a stress test is so we're with yeah, it's you
2: a, it's a stress test is where you run on a treadmill and it, it looks at uh, whether you have coronary disease or not so it's an early way of diagnosing heart disease
1: thank you mm-hmm.
2: and so um, so i ordered the stress test and sure enough it was a it was a disaster he failed the stress test badly he went in for a coronary angiogram to look at the arteries. He had major coronary disease. Had he gone for surgery, he probably would have had a serious problem, heart attack, or died even. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a couple of those experiences, and, and they happen more often than, than not. And I think doctors recognize that sometimes, that there's a little thing in the back of your head that you have to listen to. And I, I, I that could just be experience and, and, and coincidence, but I think some of that is really something that, that's guiding us and helping docs uh, uh, do the best, do the right thing for for a patient. So I've I begin to listen. I, I'm listening to that more and more now.
1: How do you see the face of medicine changing if the ability and willingness and acceptance for listening to that was included in medical school?
2: You know, it actually is a little bit more and more. Uh, they're they're including those kinds of things in medicine. They've done studies to find that people that. Uh, or in the ICU, for example, uh, and and if if there are a group of people that pray for this particular person uh, or a group of people that they seem to do better than the ones that that aren't prayed for. So I think we're learning there is something else out there that that may help us uh, in in medicine. And and I think it's being incorporated a little bit more and more. It's just not hocus-pocus anymore.
1: That's wonderful news, because how many years has it been that um, never the two shall cross, that you're either (laughs) spiritual or you're scientific?
2: Yeah, I think there's still a divide. I think some docs, you know, still just are all uh, scientific. But the, the docs that I talk to, especially the ones with the gray hairs that have been around for a while, have had some of these experiences, and they recognize that there's something else, and there's there's uh, there, there's things that that uh, happen to them that that uh, you just can't explain. Uh, one of my uh, orthopedic surgeons, for example, was a, a medical student at University of Iowa. Wanted to stay there, didn't get into the residency program for some reason, and uh, was that was the greatest disappointment of his life. He had to go to University of Indiana, and he discovered that the University of Indiana had a program where they did microsurgery, where they could do uh, uh, with a microscope little tiny connect little tiny blood vessels and little tiny veins and and uh, nerves and so forth and he loved it, uh, and that wasn't offered anywhere else. And when he finished, he um, he, he finished with a degree and uh, his residency in microsurgery. And he was one of the first to be able to reattach uh, hands, and and uh, when when a hand's been cut off, and one of the first operations in the Chicagoland area happened when there was a kid that that took a skill saw in a factory and ran it through his forearm inadvertently, obviously, and and. Uh, they uh, called him up and said, "Can you can you do this? Can you save this kid?" And, and he said, S- "Send him over. Put the hand on ice." And uh, sure enough, after 17 hours, he reattached the hand. It was one of the first operations of the kind in, in the in the in the Chicagoland area, and uh, saved the kid's uh, saved the kid's hand. The kid had one objection after a couple years of physical therapy and so forth, and he said, "Whenever I catch a football, my hand tends to tingle a little bit." <laughs> Doctor Showalter said, "Well, that's too bad." (laughs) At least you're catching
1: a football for crying out loud, yeah, yeah. So he realized the
2: greatest, the greatest uh, uh, thing, the greatest event in his life was was being directed to uh, this this program, where he thought he uh, uh, wanted to get into one school and and got into the other one. So he thinks that was some divine direction, Uh, and uh, he's he's reattached many many hands and done many phenomenal surgeries since that time.
1: are you personally pretty comfortable with integrating um, spirit in medicine at this point?
2: I am. I am, and I've written the book about it. So I, you know, I, I, I recognize that there's lots of things that you just can't explain, and uh, you know, if you if you get a hunch or a, a, a premonition or something, you, you kind of you go with it. Um, one of my one of my good friends, Rich Jorgensen, is a, or is a, a surgeon, a general surgeon, and he. Uh, had a dream that he dreamt that um, one of his good friends, a judge, Judge Glasso was, was, uh, was dead and he saw him in the coffin and it was just a very vivid dream. You know, usually when you wake up, you have a dream and you kind of forget about it, but this was such a vivid dream that he couldn't, he couldn't put it down. So he called the judge up and said, judge, I saw you dead in my dream the judge kind of laughed and and said let's well, you know that's really funny rich come on you know what, what's going on here so he said please get a physical so uh so we went to get a physical i saw an internist and the internist gave him a good bill of health he said you're perfectly fine don't worry about it and rich again had that naggy feeling in the back of his head this was a such a vivid dream that he just couldn't put it away and he called him up and, and said well would you see my cardiologist because I dreamt that you had a heart attack so he said yeah I'll go see your cardiologist And he did some testing found out that he had uh, end-stage coronary disease you had what's called a widow maker which is a left main coronary blockage and so he uh, uh, they had a uh, they did an emergency bypass surgery on him and saved his life because he would have not lived the average life expectancy from a widow maker is in terms of months and not years so uh, so there are things that, that happen that, uh, you know, you just can't explain. And I, I'm beginning to recognize that, and other doctors are too, I think.
1: So when you're getting this information, you're you're thinking about a client or you have a friend, and, and basically you're kind of in their electromagnetic field, if you will, okay? Do you think that we're actually getting subliminal information uh, by thinking about them and working with them?
2: Yeah, I think we are. I think when you're, when you're close to someone, when you have... Uh, when you love someone a great deal, I think you're more likely to get some information about that person. That happened to one of my other friends who actually didn't want to be uh, uh, named in the in the book because he had a little stroke. And um, he was sitting at home. Uh, he had a stroke. And I think it made him a little confused. He didn't quite know what to do. This is an anesthesiologist. And so he knew what was going on. And he knew that he was having a stroke. But for some reason, he didn't call for help. And you know, uh, when you have a stroke, you lose brain cells by the billions every minute that you, that you, you wait. And so all of a sudden he got a text from his sister, his sister has never texted him before. And so the sister said, I'm concerned about you. Are you okay? And, and he, you know, he looked at the text and he thought, how would she know that I was having something like this happen to me? And so that prompted him to call the ambulance to get into the hospital and, and, and they, you know, reversed his stroke which you can do these days. And uh, uh, he, he came out perfectly fine. But yes. had she had she not contacted him, I think he may have sat there for a long time, just kind of in a stunned state. But, you know, why would she contact him when she never did that before, never texted him right at that very minute? That's more yes, than she, a coincidence, I think.
1: Exactly. It's just more than coincidence. Um, yeah. So, if we're allowed to in, I'm, we're about out of time in this segment, but if we're allowed to integrate medicine and spirit, um, do you think that the, that the, how long do you think it's going to take to catch up with this? How long do you think it's going to take before people openly expect it and accept it?
2: You know, it's going to take a while. I think it's slow. And I think uh, things happen when, when uh, other doctors talk to each other about, about what's going on. But, you know, the country is becoming let, more and more secular. And it's and then religion and and spirituality, as you probably know, are kind of being uh, uh, pushed aside. So uh, you know it's going to be a it's going to be a battle. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book because I wanted to show people there is something else out there and the, and that does uh, in, in that that does have a place in, in in real medicine.
1: A very important place, from what you're telling me. Yeah 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 so um if you were to do one thing to get it out there more are you going to write another book what what do you think you're going to do to push it
2: i'm going to write more books you're absolutely absolutely <laughs> right
1: all right well we will pick up on your more books on the other side of a, of a short pause here we'll leave it as a that's cliffhanger. great <laughs> Thanks. dr kopova and i will return very shortly so don't go away this is mission evolution www.missionevolution.org. There'll be more fun stories to be had, so please stay with us. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing physicians' esoteric experiences is Dr. Scott Kolbaba. His website, physiciansuntoldstories.com. Dr. Scott, we were just about to get into what you're going to do personally to get this information out there more to hopefully start blending spirit with medicine.
2: One of the nurses came up to me the other day and said, you know, you promised to write a book about nurses. And so I said, "Okay, I will. And that's that's probably going to be my next book. We're doing a kid's book right now. Uh, just kind of, uh, I've always wanted to do a little kid's book about a little girl that's kind of awkward and uncomfortable and growing up and realizing she's pretty special. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the real book is going to be, uh, I think, the, uh, the, the nurse's book, but the nurse's unusual experiences. And some of those have been even more spectacular than the doctor's experiences, I think.
1: Well, given that they are really one-on-one with the patient more than the doctor, is, that doesn't surprise me
2: so no, I, I agree yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I know that I have a nurse friend and it's like some of the things she'll tell me are like whoa intense you know and she's you know she's been in the in the practice for 25 years there's a lot of spiritual stuff that came to her during that time you know just watching what goes on with patients
2: that's what the so, nurses tell me yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: so um, when you're in the process here of trying to bridge medicine and spirit how do you approach a patient like, you know, your doctor friend, his friend was a judge and having uh, heart problems that was undiagnosed. But if you just have a regular patient that isn't necessarily a friend, but you're getting intel that you can't really explain, how do you approach them
2: with it? Well, uh, I had a patient like that, that, that um, uh, was traveling and he called me up and he said, uh, uh, I've got this uh, right upper abdominal pain. That's where the gallbladder is. And that's a very typical thing to have when you're traveling because you're eating a little bit differently and maybe more fatty foods and so forth. So I said, get over, you know, he was in Alabama, get over to the emergency room, have someone take a look at you and see how bad it is and see if they can and, and take care of it. So he did. And he called me up from the ER and said they, they checked me out. The gallbladder was fine. Everything was okay. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they said just, you know, contact me when they when, when he, when he get home. So it sounded just like gallbladder, nausea, a little bit of uh, uh, food intolerance and so forth. So he uh, eventually came back a couple days later to the office, and I saw him in the office, and it sounded just like a gallbladder attack that he had. So you're still having pain in the right upper abdomen. So I said, let's get some fancy gallbladder studies. We'll do some blood work and so forth, and it was all perfectly normal. And, you know, it's very frustrating when you have a person that you can't quite diagnose, and you think it's one thing, and and, uh, you're sitting there, and he's in pain. And so uh, a day or so later, I woke up in the morning, and you know how you, you just have this, just like my friend that, that thought he, uh, his, his, the judge would, would uh, have some serious heart disease. I just had a feeling that this guy had something else going on. And uh, I said, well, you know, uh, I called him up at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and I said, you know, I've been thinking about you and been worried about you. I'd like you to get a lung scan he laughed at me. He said, why a lung scan? This is abdominal pain. Isn't that a lung thing? And I said, well, yeah, but I just had this funny feeling that there might be something more going on with you. We can't diagnose the gallbladder because we did all these tests. Maybe there's something with your lung. And, and, and he said, well, I can't do it today because I'm flying out to Denver in the afternoon. And I said, well, what time are you flying out? And he said, about two o'clock. And I so, said, well, I said, if I can get you in the morning, uh, would, you, would you go for a lung scan? And he said, he, there's a long pause and he finally said okay i I'll, I'll go along with you so my next call was the radiology department and they had to twist their arms to get the lung scan in as an emergency you know usually that's you know sometime later in the day but they agreed to do it and so about two hours later after you'd been in the uh, scanner and and the, the radiologist called me and said that's a nice call uh he had a nice big blood clot in his lung resting on his diaphragm that's why he, uh, you uh, it looked like his gallbladder because it was so close to the abdomen it's a nice call that you made uh, diagnosing a, a pulmonary embolus when it looked like it was abdominal s- symptom. How did you, how'd you do that? I said, I have no idea. I just woke up in the morning thinking that there's something more going on. Now, yeah. You know, so the guy uh, obviously so went right into the hospital. We didn't. He didn't fly out to Denver where he could have lost his life driving on an airplane having another blood clot in his lung. So that was, you know, really kind of a a, a scary thing to think that we could have missed that, and he would have lost his life in, in Denver, probably. So, and so he was receptive. To, he was receptive. He was receptive. But you know, you have to be careful. You, know, you get some little hunch that, that may or may not be the case, and you don't want to be flying off on a tangent and doing inappropriate tests. But there are some times when you just get that feeling that there's something else going on here that you really have to pursue. And if that hunch is strong enough, I think uh, I, I like to listen to it. And, and I think many of the doctors do, too, when they get that, that, that little feeling that there's something else going on.
1: You know, I've had over, over the years of my life, uh, a lot of police officer friends. And my dad was a cop and my cousin was a cop. And they all spoke of a gut feeling. Okay, and that's that's okay. But intuition, not right. But if they got a gut feeling, they can follow <laughs> it, right? How how does it register for you and for the those you've talked to that have the same sort of thing? How how do you feel it? How do you how do you recognize it from just a a passing fancy?
2: You know, I think it's stronger than just a passing fancy. I think it's like this this friend of mine who had that dream that was just such a real dream, and it was so strong that he just simply could not could not let it go. And, and, and sometimes I think you get those feelings that this is, you know, you have a passing thought, maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. But when you, when you really get that, that, that gut feeling that I've, I've, there's really something serious going on here that I've got to attend to. uh, I think that's, that's when you really act on, on that. And one of my good friends, Steve Heim is an orthopedic surgeon who had that same experience. He was skiing in Colorado and, and they were skiing. Uh, on a mountain that he'd never skied on before, and they, they had a blizzard that hit the mountain, just as he and his wife and his well, wife's sister were ready to ski down, and, and they had to, you know, they had to get get down. So they were skiing in this blizzard; they could only see about ten feet in front of them. And they came to a grove of trees, and they had to go to the right or the left. And Steve went to the right, and the girls, for some reason, went to the left. And they didn't see each other until Steve realized that they had separated. So he decided to ski back through the through the grove of trees. And as he was doing so, he had that gut feeling again that was, this is something really bad. There's something really serious going on here. And I've got to, I've got to, it's a life and death situation. I've got to attend to this. I don't know what it is. So he stopped skiing. So here he is in the middle of the blizzard. The girls are waiting for him. He's in the grove of trees and he stops skiing, takes his skis off, and then he starts to walk up the mountain. He had no idea why he was walking up the mountain. So he's walking up the mountain. tread. you know, he's climbing, walking, climbing, walking. And I came to a big tree with a with a trees have this this uh, this well you know where the where the snow doesn't go into the the base of the tree,
1: right? And that can be very he, dangerous.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. So he looks down at this well, and he knows why he he, he came there. There is the shape of a a skier that hit the tree was unconscious, lying underneath the tree. He never would have been seen until the springtime had Steve not come across him. He brushed off the snow. He was still alive. He was a he's also a trauma surgeon so he's a perfect person to, to resuscitate him and 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 he called for the snow patrol and and the snow patrol came up picked him up and he literally saved his life just because he had that that's that's very very strong gut feeling that there was something he needed to do and the guy lived and was perfectly fine after that it's an amazing story yeah, absolutely you know how much how much of this Mayday!
1: do you think is passed from body to body? I mean, could it have been the gentleman's spirit? He's knocked out. He might have been out of body. Could it have been him that was was sending the Mayday that the doctor was picking up?
2: You know, I don't know. He doesn't know. But all he knows is there was something very strong that came to him that day that he had to do. And, you know, what's interesting also is that uh, Steve told me afterwards, I said, well, how'd you feel, Steve? And he said, well, there were two lives that were saved that day. I said, what do you mean two lives were saved? He said, well, I saved the guy's life. And then my father died uh, two years before that in a similar kind of an accident. He was cross country skiing and I was skiing with him. He arrested on the slope. I ran him down to the first aid station where we did CPR and he died. And I've carried that burden ever since that time, thinking that I was responsible for his death. And after I saved this person's life that 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 I told you about, he said, "I realized that life and death is not up to me; that someone else is in charge of that, and that this saved my life. And the the, the burden of the guilt that I experienced uh, losing my father is is now gone. I know that that, uh, and and I, I suspect he was partly, probably part in on this this whole thing to to get me to to save this other skier's life, so I could 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 the, the the guilt could be lifted off my off my shoulders."
1: Amazing. So um, we've talked a lot about what the doctors have experienced. Uh, Do you have any more that patients have experienced that uh, the doctors have been unable to explain by medical means?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I tell these stories to patients, they'll frequently say, "Well, I, you know, I had something happen to me like that. Let me tell you the story." So I'm, you know, more than I'm <laughs> usually a little late uh, in my office rounds and office hours, but uh, it's fun to listen to those stories. We had one fellow whose daughter was trying to get into a um, uh, internship in in New York City, and he wasn't very well off, and he, you know, the, the, the rentals and, and you know, for a three month stay in New York is very very expensive. And so he didn't know how he was going to do it, and, and uh, he um, uh, uh, had had no idea what what uh, what to do, and, and he was going to have to cancel the, the internship because she couldn't f- afford to stay in, in New York. So that night, he had a dream about a person he hadn't seen for about 20 years, and uh, it was kind of a strange dream, And and the next morning, guess who called? The person that he hadn't. Uh, seen for 20 years, who had done really well for himself, made a lot of money, had a big apartment in New York City with three bedrooms, and he said, you know, I'm just calling to check in see how you're doing, and he said, isn't that interesting, you know, you're living in New York, and he said, yes, well, my daughter's looking for an internship place to stay, he said, well, she can stay with me, I've got plenty of room here, so it worked out, she went to, to New York, stayed with the, the, the fellow that uh, he hadn't seen for 20 years and, and complete her internship, didn't cost him a thing. And uh, you know what's the, what's the likelihood that that would happen as a coincidence? So I it's think those kinds of things—they're—they're all—they're not all life-threatening. Obviously, this one wasn't a life-threatening condition, but—but but, uh, I think things like that happen all the time that people don't even recognize. Would have been a life-changing if if she wasn't able to do her internship for sure. It would have been. It would have yeah. been.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so Spirit probably has something pretty interesting planned for that little gal.
2: I think so. I think so.
1: So. What do you think? Do you think that this is a skill? I mean, we right now we're just doing it by gosh and by Kali.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: do you think that this is a skill that can be honed and refined? And if so, does everybody have the capacity or is it like playing basketball? I don't play basketball.
2: <laughs> Too short. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> Wrong, Ginger.
2: <laughs> yeah, my sense is that everyone has a little bit of this of this skill that they can they can pick up uh, if they really listen for it. And, you know, I think we get so busy in our lives that we don't uh, meditate and we don't think about uh, you know some of the finer the the, the higher things in life and we, we get too busy with our our daily lives so I think everyone is subject to get these kinds of uh, uh, messages from above uh, I think though some people ref- have refined it a little bit better and they they listen for this and they know how to listen for it and I, so I, so I think there's There's a little bit of both. I think everyone's a subject to it, but I think there are some people that really uh, listen for these kinds of messages and and they get them. I think miracles happen almost every day.
1: I'm with you. Do you feel that there is training? Um, So say, for instance, there's a lot of um, old, old, old modalities out there that could possibly be useful in our modern medicine. Um, I'm, I'm a shamanic teacher and practitioner but i'm Mm -hmm. also a preceptor for the university of colorado school of medicine and they have me teach medical doctors about the interface between shamanism and um and medicine and and when to refer and all that fun stuff so there is movement in that direction do you think there's other um old forms that used to deal in refining and honing our ability to read on the esoteric level that we could use
2: I'm sure there are. I I haven't looked into it more personally, but I am sure there are uh, ways of, of teaching people how to to listen for those kind of uh, 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 messages that that uh, would help all of us. So you probably would know better than I would teaching that at, at a medical school. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there, I'm sure there are, there are there are methods and, and training that, that can be gotten to to learn to listen.
1: What's What's wonderful is the acceptance that is starting to show
2: up is are you noticing that in medical schools that people are more open to this?
1: Yes, the young docs really are. Some aren't, you know, some of them look at me like this woman really needs to get on some meds.
2: <laughs> but, but I'm but, sure but, that's the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there's a lot of them that are just they're very gifted, they've had experiences themselves and they want to figure this out. And don't you think medicine will be greatly enhanced if
2: they do? Uh, for sure. For sure. I think, uh, you know, I, I think anytime we take on a worthwhile cause, I think there's, there's some help that comes uh, that we just can't quite explain. And uh, so I think that would be a great, a great thing. And congratulations for, for doing that kind of work at the university. It's, it's a awesome. real pleasure.
1: And it gives me hope seeing these wonderful people that are going into medicine it just gives me hope. So um, I understand that, speaking of daughters, that you had an mm-hmm. experience with your own daughter. We have a
2: little my time. Daughter, Lucci, share that with us. Yes, my my daughter Lucci is. Uh, she likes to dance and sing. So she was in show choir and they uh, dance and sing at the same time and they uh, jump around on, on bleachers which is uh, with uh, high heels on so it's a little dangerous there have been no major accidents there that i know of but lucci had a, a major uh competition in onalaska wisconsin and we live in near chicago so uh, the bus uh, took off to go to onalaska one afternoon and we followed the bus about an hour later and then we, the next thing i know of. of a couple hours into the trip, we got a call from Luchi and said, well, Dad, there was a little bit of a fire, but we're okay. And uh, we're, we're just waiting for a, another bus. And so we didn't think too much about it, but she sounded a little strange. And, and about an hour later, when we would have caught up with the bus, uh, there were all these police cars and fire engines and, and smoke and all kinds of stuff on the side of the road. And, and we looked over and there was this bus that was burning up uh, on the side of the road with all these black flames coming out of it. And my, all of a sudden, my wife said, that's Lucci's bus. So we tried to get off the expressway. We couldn't because the police wouldn't let us. But uh, evidently, what happened is the the bus uh, uh, tie, the back tire uh, got a, was a flat. And then some of the, the rubber peeled off. And then the friction from the rubber caught the, the wheel well on fire. And then that spread to the rest of the bus. And evidently, uh, there are two buses uh, on this trip. And the one bus behind uh, all the kids started texting the, the girls and the boys in the, in the one bus in the, in the front saying your bus is on fire your bus is on fire and sure enough the bus pulled off and and um, the flames started to come up uh, the side of the bus and then they went underneath the bus it was very quick and uh, my daughter was one of the last ones in the bus and uh, uh, the, the flames got uh, uh, higher and higher the smoke filled the whole bus and then they said there was something really unusual that happened. And the, the people watching from the bus behind said, it's like a, like a giant hand going over the bus. And the flames died down, smoke died down. And every girl was able to jump off the bus uh, without being harmed. And when the last girl jumped off the bus, the flames roared through the bus, destroying everything inside the bus. And it was just a huge fire. Amazing. And so that was just such an amazing thing.
1: Just an amazing thing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this is about the time of the show, when I have to ask you, Dr. Kovava, what is your
2: mission? You know, if I can do some good in the world uh, and not too much harm, I'm, I'm, uh, I, that's my goal, to, to just do some, some good in the world. But I think many docs are the same way. Most docs are kind of sappy, like what I call sappy do-gooders, and they trying to do something that's, that helps other people.
1: Well, it seems to me like bringing this information forward is is a very powerful thing to be doing at this time. I think there's openness for it where, you know, what 15, 20 years ago, maybe not so much.
2: I think you're right. I think there's openness for it and and uh, you know, when when I read the reviews on on the books, people say, you know, this is this has helped me a lot. This, I realize that there's something else now and and it's changed my it changed my life. So it's that's that's great great satisfaction for me to to read those kinds of reviews.
1: And do you get them from the docs as well, ones that weren't involved in the study?
2: yeah, the the docs uh, were were surprisingly interested in 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 all this. and and you know they've many of them read the book and like it, and a lot of the nurses have read the book too. so it's it's fun to see that that happen.
1: Absolutely fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to see your book on nurses. I'm sure I have quite a few friends that will be anxious to see that too, because <laughs> there's a lot of fun stuff going on out there that's not explicable. <laughs>
2: I agree. Totally. I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Dr. Kolbaba, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thanks, Gwilda. It was a real pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Scott Kolbaba, the author of Physicians Untold Stories, and internist in private practice in Wheaton, Illinois. His website, physiciansuntoldstories.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwelda Wiecka. For more information or to enjoy past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Please be sure to join us right here next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world.
0: In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Duncan's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice-cold cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold-brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply.